Welcome to Coach House Talks. Good morning and welcome to our Good Friday um, celebration uh, and remembrance of what it cost Jesus to die for us. We've already taken communion and celebrated that together. And I want to just spend a few moments to speak in and, and bring in a few thoughts. Now, I'm not going to read from the New Testament, from from the Gospel presentations. We've already looked at some of those this morning as we've gone through it. We've seen the story of the Last Supper and the betrayal and, and, the, and the events leading up to Jesus' death on a cross. But I want to read from the Old Testament from Isaiah 53, which is a very well-known passage about the servant. Now, I want to take a couple of verses that maybe are lesser known from that particular uh, passage. So Isaiah 53 verse 8 says this, Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Now, within these few words, amongst the perhaps better known verses of Isaiah 53, we find the very heart of the gospel plan. In fact, we've seen these words as we've been going through the book of Acts as a church together. We've seen his words spoken out before. Because this is the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading as Philip encounters him. Now, if you'll remember in Acts 8, this is what it says. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless somebody instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated. And received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now this is the same passage that is looked up and found in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 8, or just start, just before verse 8. But the eunuch is reading this from the Greek version, so it's slightly different to what we've got laid out for us in Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch was travelling away from Jerusalem before he was met by Philip. And Philip was one of the first disciples to take the message of Jesus outside of Jerusalem. So if you remember, the, the, the disciples or the people stayed in Jerusalem until persecution came and then they were scattered out. And then just after that is this encounter that Philip has with the eunuch. And the eunuch has been to Jerusalem to worship, but as a eunuch, he wouldn't have been able to take play, or take part in the worship itself because of his status. One, because he was not a Jew, and two, because he was a eunuch. So when he meets Philip, Philip was able to explain who Jesus was from the words in Isaiah 53. So if Philip was able to persuade the eunuch of the truth of Jesus from this passage, then let us break it down and let us reflect together in this brief time we have. 
See, this is perhaps a very different Good Friday to our normal gathering, but the central and core element is what we are, is that we are gathered as church to give thanks and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. The sacrifice that God provided as payment in full for our sins. Now we're no doubt familiar with the picture of Jesus being led like a lamb to the slaughter. A very real representation and fulfilment of the Passover. The Passover lamb. See, God's people have been following Passover instructions since the day that they were told to spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts as they came out of Egypt. So that the angel of death would pass over the house, literally being saved by the blood of the lamb. And since that time, since they came out and they were given that instruction, they have celebrated the Passover, the passing over of the angel of death. And Jesus is the culmination of this Passover lamb. Remember that the Passover and Easter are celebrated at the same time. Easter's the only holiday, the only public holiday that we have that changes its date each year. It's on a different day, it's on a different Sunday. That's because it follows the lunar calendar. And it's very important because it's linked with Passover and it's a celebration of the Passover that makes Easter holidays move around. As Christians, we see clearly that the servant of the missing verses in Isaiah 53 is Jesus. And the text itself speaks of a man. Not a nation, as the Jews would interpret it. And strangely, these few verses are not read publicly in the synagogue. But they read up to and halfway through chapter 52. And then they resume their speaking from the prophets at 54. And they miss out these servant passages from Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Jesus fulfills the scripture. And that's why Philip was able to explain the truth of Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch using only these words. This was not a justified death. Jesus was pure and blameless, no guile or sin within him. He was condemned to die without good reason. Save for one, that it was God's intention and plan. The phrase, life was cut short midstream, is understood to mean that life has been judged by God and cut short. When you see these words, when you see to, to, to a Jewish reader, life cut short midstream would be a pronouncement of God's judgment so this servant is being judged or is having judgment placed upon them as i was thinking on this phrase used in isaiah 53 my mind went to psalm 90 and psalm 90 verse 10 tells us that 70 years are given to us and some even live to 80 now this might be stretching things a little bit but cut short midstream well after 33 years jesus was crucified cut off from the father and the sinless pure lamb of god hung out to die for our wrongdoings and sin and it was god's will and plan and he was cut short midstream isaiah 53 verse 10 tells us it was the lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief and yet when his life is made an offering for sin he jesus will have many descendants. 
Which takes me to my second point. Earlier we read from verse 8, the same portion read by the unit, that he would die without descendants. Now, depending on the different translations you might have, this may read as, well, no one from that time cared about the man being sacrificed, which is true in part, but it's more probable that we are learning that this is God's only provision for us. There will not be another Jesus, another sacrificed lamb in generations to come. There are no earthly descendants or children that will take on the mantle that Jesus has fulfilled. However, this appears to be in contrast to the statement that is later made in verse 10, only two verses later. He, Jesus, will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. So how do we reconcile this? Well, I'll offer you this explanation. Jesus is the culmination of the promise given to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. He is the seed that will crush the head of the serpent. There will be no earthly line after this. It is finished. There's no point looking for another saviour to come. There's no point looking for anything else to save us from the sin that we're in. Jesus is the only provision. Jesus has no children to continue this humanly. The line is finished. There were no other sons that God has to provide for further sacrifice for us. Jesus was God's only begotten son, meaning that Jesus was the only human son fathered by God, the holy anointed one, the Messiah, the Passover lamb. So the many descendants spoken of in verse 10 must be spiritual rather than human. The first chapter of John's Gospel gives us a beautiful description of God becoming flesh in the form of Jesus. And verse 10 of John 1 says this, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognise him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. All who believe are granted the right to be called children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High. See, God grants us the right to be called children, sons and daughters, heirs and co-heirs. Hebrews 2 from verse 9 says this what we do see is jesus who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels and because he suffered death for us he is now crowned with glory and honor yes by god's grace jesus tasted death for everyone god for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children that God has given me. 
Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So it's by the death of Jesus on this dark and sad day 2,000 years ago, God's promises are fulfilled in it. Humankind is brought back into line and is given a full destiny of eternal life when we look upon and accept the sacrifice that has paid for all of our sin. In Numbers 21, the people of Israel had to look upon the image of a brass or bronze serpent raised up on a pole before the people. It's worth having a look at the story. It's worth turning in your Bibles to Numbers 21 and just having a look at what it is and what it's saying and the picture that it's casting. They look upon the image of a brass or bronze serpent raised up on a pole. And so it is that we are saved when we behold God's Son slain for our sin and lifted before men on a cross. And all that's asked is that we believe in him and accept him. Jesus hinted at this when he spoke to Nicodemus in John's Gospel. And he said to Nicodemus, as part of the conversations he was having, he says these, this line, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must also be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. You see, in this story in Numbers, the snakes went among the people. God sent snakes amongst the people for punishment because of their disobedience and sin. Death was visiting them. They died because as the snakes bit them, the poison went to work in their bodies. And yet God provides an image of a brass snake that saves them if they look upon it and believe. The very thing that's killing them, a representation of it is raised up before them. A brass snake that has no poison within it. Sin is killing us. It has been since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And yet, God provides an image of man containing no sin, so therefore perfect, to be hung on a wooden cross to save us all. This was the plan, and it had to happen. The Son of Man must be lifted up so that our sin can be transferred see our sin our darkness in those hours of darkness where jesus hung on that cross our sin was transferred onto him who had no sin and by looking upon him our sin is finished it's taken and is done with we have life when we deserve death and in those few dark hours, God couldn't even look on his own son. 
because of the weight of sin that Jesus bore for us. He was cut off even from his father. God could not look upon sin and still cannot look upon sin. There are so many things that can be said, but in the end we just stop and ponder the greatness of God's provision for us. There is nothing more that we need. So on this Good Friday, as we remember what God has done for us, we look upon Jesus, knowing this, that this is not the end, but that this had to happen in order for Satan to be defeated. This is a solemn day, and yet contained within it is the wonderful promise of salvation and the certain and sure arrival of Sunday and the resurrection when we meet together again to celebrate Jesus rising from the dead and conquering death, the last frontier, the last barrier, the last thing that Satan held over mankind. Jesus is about to beat it. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.